Oh, hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Renee, and this is Play by Play with Me. It's a little play on words. I am the me, of course, and the play-by-play is provided usually by my guests. And today's guest is uh, a local product, Westchester County, did his uh, undergrad at CW Post on Long Island and somehow made his way to Portland, eventually becoming the radio play-by-play voice of the Portland Trailblazers. Travis Demers joins us. Hey, Travis, thanks for taking a few minutes to play-by-play with me. Absolutely. Thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate it. Well, you know, we've been in touch over um, various social media trying to catch up. I think I had uh, sent an email to you probably last spring. I was enamored of one of your uh, game-winning basket calls that I used on the air here in New York. (laughs) I appreciate that. And when I realized that you were a local guy, I said, absolutely, I have to play this. Um, Let me explain the premise uh, to everybody. Uh, Because we are, for the most part, quarantined, I wanted to find a fun way to uh, catch up with uh, some friends and some uh, future friends and some contacts so that... uh, so that we could kill some time, pass some time, and hopefully uh, entertain and inform uh, whoever happens to be listening. And I, I finally came up with a tagline, and uh, what I thought was a pretty cool logo, the play-by-play with me logo, and the tagline is, uh, talking to the voices I hear in my headphones. <laughs> so I, I like that. That's, I, you know, that I amuse really myself more often than not, um, and I kind of... Well, isn't hold... that the purpose of what we do anyway most of the time? You know what? I've been saying this for the better part of 25 years. I very selfishly try to entertain myself, and I hope that whoever might be listening gets a kick out of it, too. And what that's, else that's can the you... story of my life. Right. What else can you ask for? So exactly. let, me get, let me get started with you, if you don't mind. I know you have a, a, a sleeping infant, so uh, we won't keep you terribly long. But uh, Westchester County native, you wound up at CW yes. Post. Now, how did that happen? Well, I, I wanted to go to a school that had uh, you know, a good broadcasting program, and I also wanted to play baseball. So I, I looked around at different schools. I looked at Fordham. I looked at Syracuse. Um, I looked at you know Arizona State. There, there were a bunch of schools all across the country that I looked at. But when I took the tour of CW Post, you know they were a Division One baseball team at the time. They went back to D two, and now they're D one again. I thought, okay, with the with the radio station that they have, the TV station that they have, maybe I'll have a chance to walk on the the baseball program and play some ball and and get to to chase the radio dream. I, I really liked the TV station they had there. I liked the radio station. Um, I thought there would be an opportunity to get some hands-on experience a lot earlier on than going to a place like Fordham or Syracuse. And you know, not to in any way put down the CW Post radio station. There have been some some great people who have come through there, there was just more of an opportunity to to get some on-air experience earlier on. You know, just like a, a player might choose one school to go to over another um, because he might be able to play as a freshman or a sophomore as opposed to maybe going to Alabama and having to wait two or three years before they see the field. And that's kind of how I looked at it. I noticed you didn't mention Hofstra, though. I, My I friends at Hempstead are not going to be happy about this. Well, no, the, the reason why I didn't mention Hofstra is because at the time I just I wasn't aware of the the broadcasting program and, and the radio station. I, pro- I guess if I did some better research, I would have found out because they're, they're a, a very uh, well-known program. I just wasn't aware of it. And I, I'd never even thought to go to Hofstra. Well, it was just so you know, it was a lot better when you were looking than when I was there. 
<laughs> because people okay. came. No, no, it, it's it's the people who followed uh, my generation uh, really built the place up, and it's you know world renowned now. And um, but it doesn't matter Absolutely. because you you made out all right. Um, but then how did you wind right, up? Yes. How did you wind up uh, going from uh, LIU Post to uh, eventually Portland? What was the path? Yeah, so I when I was in college, my junior year, I, I interned at ABC Radio Sports, and my job was to help out on something called the ABC Sports Call. And I would put together audio and, and help out whoever the producers were putting together the, the sports call, which was a feed of highlights and sound bites that were sent out to all the affiliates to use in their newscast and sportscast and things like that. So I did that my junior year. I did that again my senior year, and I got hired as a a freelance producer to put together the sports call. And I was working a couple of nights a week doing the overnight shift. I still had a month or two left to go in school. And I, I realized that as, as great as that was, I didn't want to be a producer. I wanted to be on the air. So I sent out my tapes and resumes everywhere that I could possibly think of. I mean, some, some jobs that I absolutely no business applying for, like the, the Auburn, uh, football and basketball radio play-by-play job, which eventually went to uh, the late Rod Bramblett, who was very obviously very deserving of that job. I got a nice letter back, but yeah, I, I had no business applying for that job. Mm. And one of the jobs I was offered was high school football and basketball play-by-play in Astoria, Oregon. It was 50 bucks a game. Uh, football was once a week. Basketball was twice a week in some tournaments. And for people who aren't familiar with Astoria, Oregon, it's about 100 miles from Portland, and it's where the movies uh, The Goonies and Kindergarten Cop took place. No kidding. Very small school. Huh. So at the time, there were there was a 4A classification system. It's now 2A, uh, now 6A. It was a 2A school. So with 4A being the highest, 1A being the lowest, this was the second smallest classification at the time in the state of Oregon. So we're talking small town on the coast. Uh, and that's what I moved cross country for sight unseen when I was 21 after I graduated. Interesting. That's pretty interesting. And uh, what would you say was the turning point of your career that started you uh, or got you closer to the Trailblazers gig? So when I, when I went out to, to Portland, I drove out to Astoria and decided, yeah, I'm not going to live here. <laughs> there just wasn't a lot going on. You know, coming from, you've been to Westchester, you know, it's not exactly, um, especially northern Westchester where I'm from, it's it's quiet. It's very country-like. It's not the city, but you're close enough to the city. Right. Uh, you're close to Stanford. You're close to Hartford. You're close to a lot of things. I wanted to be in a place that had more going on. So I lived in Portland and commuted the 100 miles once a week to go call the games and i i called up every radio station in town and tried to get in there and i got in uh as, as a stringer for trailblazers games with one of the news stations 1190 kx and they would pay me 25 bucks a game and i would go get post game audio and i also went over to um a competing station a sports station time it was 910 the fan and started doing the same thing i got in uh, as a board op a few months later and just kind of worked my way up, and I was there. I had a couple of stints there, but the first one was until March of 2011, and I, I was hosting shows, I was you know, producing, I was reporting, I was doing play-by-play for high school sports. But in the meantime, I was also you know trying to get as many other side gigs as I could. I was a traffic reporter on the local ABC affiliate on the morning news. I was doing play-by-play for our, our the National Lacrosse League team that 
was here. And this was all before I, I moved from Portland to DC in 2011 to work for Sirius XM and just kind of doing everything that I possibly could around Portland. And then I got a job uh, at Sirius XM in DC. Um, I was doing updates across all of the uh, sports uh, channels and platforms. And I was hosting a, a Sunday morning show uh, on the college sports channel. And I, I wasn't really sure if that was going to be um, something that would grow into something bigger. So when I got offered a job to come back to Portland a year and a half later to take over the midday show um, at the station I was at, at the fan, I, I jumped at the opportunity and I, I had a midday slot in 2012 from, from noon to three. Okay, I have to backtrack real quick. I almost uh, overlooked. You said uh, ABC Radio Sports in the city and Sports Call. Immediately, I hear the dulcet tones of one Bruce Morton. I don't know if you had a chance to work with him, but he was the voice of ABC Sports Call for so many years. And when we would take the feeds... This is how long ago it was, and Brucey, if you hear this, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to age you or me, but uh, when you hear the tone, please roll your carts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, I don't remember specifically working with Bruce. The guys that I worked with over there, uh, Steve White, um, uh, Howie Carpin. Okay. Um, the, these were the uh, these were the producers. Right. Um, Let's see, uh, Andrew Bogish, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah, see back him every there, day. I worked with, with, with Andrew. Well, I yeah, saw him every Andrew, day Andrew's the great. shutdown, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, next time you see him, please tell him I said hello. Will do. And the anchors that were working in there were, were John Clossy, who has been doing it a long, long time, and Todd Ant. Right. Those are the guys that I worked with more than anybody else. Todd will also be very disappointed that you didn't consider Hofstra. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm well aware that. Just to put that out there. Yeah. Yes, I need to acknowledge that because I'm sure he'll listen to this at some point. Um, let me get back Todd, how to you doing? Uh, yeah, right, Todd. How you doing? Well, we hope you're okay. You know, it's funny. It was right yeah. around. I know you and I were supposed to have run into each other at the uh, Blazers Nets game the end of March. But yes, it's. Uh, I think today is the one year anniversary that I was supposed to go see Todd's son Ben uh, pitch against another friend's son's team, which was completely random. Um, I didn't no know that they knew each other. It's, this is how strange and, and how uh, small the world is. But I think today was the anniversary. I was supposed to go see these guys pitch, and I just got tied up with 800 things and never had a chance to make it out there. And if I remember correctly, either the game got rained out anyway or or neither factored in the decision. But Oh, no kidding. This is how small the world is. Yeah, it, it really is. And and you know, some of the people that I worked with back over, there was a guy named Oleg Rudnitsky who went over to the news side for a while. He's still a very close friend of mine. We talk all the time. And, uh, you know, I see Andrew Bogish is onto some some big things. And, you know, just funny seeing how small this business in this world is. A guy that I went to school with, Patrick Creighton, he's now hosting a show down in Houston. Just you, the, the walks of life that, that you go across this country and realize just how connected, especially this industry is. It's it's remarkable, and it just reminds you that you better be nice to everybody because you're probably going to see them again. Yeah, what is the best piece of advice you got on the way up? Really, it was just if, if there's something you want to do, do it. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to be a producer is because it was a great opportunity to be working at ABC Sports, 
but I didn't want to be a producer for the rest of my life. And it was the advice that I got from, from a couple of people was if, if you want to do play by play, go find somewhere that you can do play by play. If you want to be a producer, go do that or else you'll never get that opportunity. So that's, that's what I did. And I, I worked hard. I tried to learn everything that I possibly could and as many different skills as I could. But that was, that was kind of the advice that, that sent me across the country. I don't want my uh, high school English teachers to face palm when they hear me ask this question, so I'm hoping I get it right. Uh, who was your Nathaniel Hawthorne who told you to go west, young man? Oh, man. There, there, I don't know if there was anybody specifically that said go west, um, you know, when, when, I, when I was given the opportunity. Um, but like I mentioned, a lot of the people that I, j- I just referred to that I was working with at ABC Sports, um, when I told them about the opportunity – everybody said, go do it. Um, I mentioned Oleg Graditsky, who's a great friend of mine. He was, he, he's still championing my cause and he just go do it, man. Go just, you got to do this. And it was the advice of people that and the kind words of people in, in the business that I was working with every day, that said, you have to go do this, that I just said, okay, let's go, let's go move across the country for 50 bucks a week. sight unseen. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's interesting because the, the smaller stations that were there when I was starting out, when you were starting out, unfortunately don't exist anymore. But right. by the same token, we have all of these uh, digital opportunities now and online and uh, the streaming sites and, you know, all the multiple ESPN platforms and the conference uh, digital sites. And it really is, uh, as far as content goes, it's... It, infinite because pretty much every game or every event can have play-by-play can have a color announcer can have a sideline reporter has producers you know the the, so the job opportunities are are infinite uh and infinitely uh wider ranging than they were say 25 or 30 years ago they really are and and one of the things when i was doing the the afternoon show in portland um before i got the blazers job before i ever got an opportunity to fill in I was uh, calling games for the University of Portland, uh, West Coast Conference, the same league as Gonzaga and St. Mary's. And I was doing basketball and baseball for them. And only a couple, maybe three or four games of, of each sport each season were on actual TV. Everything else was was video streaming. So I was getting an opportunity you know, to get some extra money and to call some extra games just because of that platform. And so many young broadcasters now have that opportunity, whether it's doing high school sports or small colleges, it, it, there, there are so many opportunities that are not in the traditional sense that you and I knew growing up, but there are a lot of opportunities out there. You had some big shoes to fill when you replaced Brian Wheeler, who is a fantastic play-by-play announcer. Um, I've enjoyed his work from afar for years. Um, how daunting a task was it for you? I know you had a chance to work with him and then serve yeah. as his fill-in a little while before you got the job full-time, but how daunting is that? Because to me, you know, Brian Wheeler in, in Portland is is like, uh, you know, my Bob Murphy here in New York. Uh, big shoes to fill. They, they really are. And in, in the history of the Trailblazers, this is the 50th season. There, uh, Eddie Doucette was doing the radio for a couple of years. He was the He's a Hall of Famer with the, with the Bucks, but he did it for two years. Because there was a guy named Bill Shonley, who's known as Mr. Rip City. He's the guy that coined the term Rip City. He was the Blazers announcer from 1970 through 1998 when Brian Wheeler took over. And there were two years in the mid-90s when Shonley went over to do TV and they brought in Eddie Doucette to do 
radio. Right. Well, Bill Shonley didn't want to do TV anymore. He wanted to go back to radio, so he did for another four or five years. Well, 28 years, he was the original voice of, of Rip City, and then Brian Wheeler came in for 21 years. And I hope I have longer than two years. I hope I have a, a long time to be able to do this job. But really, there, there have been two voices that, that Rip City has known throughout the last 50 years on the radio. So to be the next guy, it's incredibly big shoes to fill. And different generations, you know, will some of the older generation will gravitate towards Bill Shonley because he's the guy they grew up with. Younger folks, and now probably their 30s and 40s, will go with Brian Wheeler because he's the voice of the Blazers that they knew growing up. Well, that's it. So for me to come in and be the next guy in line, it's it, it is very daunting. I've gotten to know Brian well over the last ten years or so. He's he's a mentor and a friend, and unfortunately, he's had some health issues and. You know, it opened up an opportunity for me to fill in last year. And I called, you know, between playoffs, regular season and preseason, I did 57 games last year. So to to now have the job as my own, I wasn't coming in cold. I knew what to expect. Right. Uh, the fans knew me. Um, I'd been hosting a radio show in this market for years, so so fans had known me. So while it was it was very daunting. I just had to tell myself that this is – I was given this opportunity for a reason. Right. Because obviously the people in charge think that I'm the right guy for this chance. So I didn't want to be either of those guys. I didn't want to steal their catchphrases or do what they did. I wanted to do what I did and be me. And that's what Bill Shomley told me to do is just be yourself. Don't try and be anybody else. And knowing the great broadcasters that have been with this franchise before me, it really made me want to be even better and hold myself to a higher standard. How difficult, Travis, did you find trying to win over the fan base? Because oftentimes, you know, fans are very protective of the legends and don't take too kindly to the newbies. Yes. Yeah, and that's what it was like for me, too. I grew up listening to Nick games and listening to Marv Albert when Mike Breen would fill in. I'd be like, hey, who's this guy? I want to hear Marv. Obviously, (laughs) Mike Breen has done all right for himself. I had a chance to meet Mike, too, and he's he's terrific. But um, it, it, it was hard, but it wasn't. Portland is is very welcoming. There were some people that were not happy at all, and there were some people who were were very very welcoming to me. And because I had that opportunity to fill in last year, and because I have been here for as long as I have, I think it was a little bit easier that I wasn't a fresh brand new voice. I wasn't someone that came in from another market. While I grew up a New Yorker and I'll always be a New Yorker, I've been here for the better part of the last, you know, almost seventeen years now. So people kind of view me as as a local um so there are absolutely some challenges and it's it might take me a long time to win some people over but there were also some very welcoming people what is your favorite sport to call uh, it's, it seems it's like tough. an easy answer but i didn't want to assume well baseball is my sport you know okay. i grew up playing baseball um I, like we talked about i i tried out for the, the baseball team in college and i played in the fall season and, and didn't make the, the the spring team they told me to come back out again next year and you know, I realized that probably wasn't the best career path for me. Um, I've coached high school baseball for years. Baseball is in my blood. It's my it's it's my sport. I didn't call a baseball game for the first time until about six years ago. So I had years of basketball and football, um, even lacrosse, all kinds of things. I did horse racing announcing. I, I I've done minor league baseball over the last few years, and as much as I love baseball and I love being around the game. 
there's just something about calling an NBA game and a big moment when somebody hits a buzzer beater or a late three-pointer or comes up with a big dunk or a big block that can't be duplicated in any other sport. And really, it's the only sport where there's, there's constant action. There isn't that time to fill, and that's why I think baseball is so challenging because you've got to fill time, especially when you're calling a high school or, or a, a college or a minor league game. You don't have the, the base knowledge and information like you do with major leagues. Right. Um, it's To me, with, with the action, the way the game flows, just basketball, it's, there, there's nothing like it. Who was the broadcaster when you were growing up that you wanted to be when you grew up? The first one was was probably Jack Buck, you know, watching, you know, when I was what seven years old was uh, the 88 World Series. You know, so when I when, when CBS got the baseball package in 1990 and 91 and I'm watching Braves twins, that was really the first time my parents let me stay up to watch the whole World Series. And obviously we remember Jack Buck's famous calls and in, in game six and game seven. He was the first voice that I really heard that that I wanted to be like. And there, there are plenty of other guys. Marv Albert, obviously. You know, right. That's a guy I grew up listening to and watching, and, and Marv is the best. I still haven't had a chance to meet Marv yet, but uh, I've always been a, a big fan of his. John Sterling with the Yankees. Uh, Bob Papa doing the New York Giants. Um, you know, th- those are the, the voices of my childhood. And those, those were all the guys that, that, I, that I loved. And if we're you know, still talking nationally, Sean McDonough, uh, listening to him do baseball and then football, um, those, those guys were all just, just, I don't know if there's any one specifically, but they're all guys that I, I looked up to growing up that I wanted to be like. I'm going to go to my grave arguing that Sean McDonough is criminally underrated. Oh, I totally agree. I was watching the, uh, the 92 NLCS the other night and that call when Sid Bream slides into home for the Braves against the, uh, uh, against the pirates. I mean, that's, that's iconic. He, he was, I thought he was great at Monday night football. I think he's, he's great doing college sports. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Sean McDonough. What is your uh, seminal moment in the play-by-play booth so far? Wow, um, there we've had some incredible moments really in the in the year plus that I've been doing this. But I think calling a four overtime playoff game last year, Game Three, Blazers Nuggets. Um, the series was tied at one. It was it was a critical game here in Portland, and it was the game that wouldn't end. Uh, it's it's tied for the longest game in NBA playoff history. The last time. It, teams had gone into four overtimes it was the Syracuse Nationals and the Boston Celtics that's how long ago it was and every time he thought the game was over CJ McCollum hit a big shot in one of the overtimes the Nuggets came back and tied the game when the Blazers looked like they were down and out they got a turnover and forced a uh, a possession and were able to to get a basket and just kept going and going and that building was so loud every second of those overtimes and and guys that weren't the key players, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, coming up with big, big plays. A four-overtime game in, in the NBA playoffs in the second round, I doubt I will ever call another one of those again as long as I live because they just don't happen. To me, that was, that was one of the biggest moments. To me, that game, in a way, was more fun than calling Game 7 on the road in Denver. They got the Blazers into their first Western Conference Finals since 2000. All right, do you remember this game? It was a bit, about a week after the 4 OT game when I singled out your Rodney Hood call. It was a, on a long list of other pretty good calls that you had that night. I guess it was the night of May 9th, and the 4 OT game was the third. Do you remember? Because I only have the note that I sent you in front of me. I don't have any other details. 
Rodney Hood on the ninth. So if the four OT game was game three, is that was that game? That must have been game seven. Maybe it was. I all I I, I wrote you. It says um, great calls last night. I've been playing the Rodney Hood one hundred four ninety clip all morning. Huh. <laughs> I don't mean to put I'm you gonna... on the spot, but it's all I have, and I'm sitting here frantically well, trying to go through. And of course, NBA. Uh, the NBA app is, uh, you know, not uh, game not, game not six. Rodney these days. Rodney Hood had a had an incredible game at home in Game Six, and that was that. That's probably the game that you're talking about. You know, they they're down three two. They win Game Six. They win Game Seven. Uh, game Six at home. That was probably the game that that you're talking about. I'm, I'm as we're talking here. I'm looking up the box. Yeah, score I was going to say you kill time. A- I'm going to go look too. <laughs> Or I'll kill yeah, time. The, the, Somebody out have... there, hum the Jeopardy theme for a second. We'll, uh, we'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, Rodney Hood had, let's see, he had, yeah, he had 25 points, 8 of 12. He was 3 for 4 from 3. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's got to be the game because he played 31 minutes in that game and had 25 points. Because um, the, the starting front court with Alfred Camino and Maurice Harkless, they hadn't been playing well. They actually got benched. And that's when Zach Collins and Rodney Hood got were getting more minutes. They both played around 30 minutes that night. And game six, we don't, there's no game seven if Rodney Hood doesn't do what he did in, in game six. And, yes, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum were huge in that game. They both had 30-plus, but that, that's got to be the game that you're talking about. You mentioned uh, Damian and CJ, who are uh, arguably um, two of the most potent teammates in the entire league. What's it like to get to watch the – obviously, when we have games going on, we'll talk more about that in a sec, but um, sure. what's it like to get to watch those guys – Night in, night out. Damian Lillard's unbelievable. The way that he has continuously adapted his game. You know, a few years ago in the postseason against New Orleans when the Blazers got swept, uh, he didn't have a, a great series because the Pelicans did such a good job defensively of focusing on him because they knew if you shut down Damian Lillard, you can shut down the Blazers. Well, what he did was he started pulling up from deeper. And if he extends that three-point line deeper and deeper, makes it harder and harder to defend it. So he's now taking shots from 30, 35 feet regularly, and he makes them regularly. He was 6 of 9 this season from 35 to 39 feet, and we've seen twice this season he had 60-plus point games. There was that 48-point game in L.A. the night the uh, the Lakers remembered Kobe Bryant and the victims of, of that terrible helicopter crash. There was a couple of weeks stretch where he averaged over 40 points a game, and it just seemed like nothing for him. It was, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. With C.J. McCollum, He's he's the number two. He, he's not Damian Lillard, but there are some nights where he just goes on a tear and he can't miss. He's the best mid-range shooter that I, I think currently in the NBA. The way that he can create his crossover, his ability to fake defenders, just the, the things that he can do to create his own shot. Those two guys together. Yes, they sometimes get criticized for, for being undersized, but the things that they do offensively, it's it's unbelievable watching them night in and night out. It amuses me that people can criticize players for being undersized, like they have any control over it. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Go, go grow. Go put on a couple right. more. How dare I'm, you? I'm five. I'm five eight. I've been dealing with that my whole life. It's not my fault. Right. Believe me, if I could be taller, I would. Yes. Exactly. I, I promise. If I had any say in the matter, I would be at least six three. And I'd also be, you know, if I weighed the same I weigh now, I'd, I'd look a lot different. So, Yeah, you and me both, my friend. Yeah. Hey, um, 
Portland was uh, one of the early uh, epicenters of this whole coronavirus thing. Um, yeah. What was that like for you as uh, as a husband and a father and, and, and a Portlander? I guess that's what they call people who live in Portland, right? Portlanders? Yeah. Portlandians? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think there are plenty. I think there are plenty of Portlanders who wouldn't want to be called Portlandians after the show, but right. there are plenty that absolutely yeah. would be. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was an interesting time because we we had a game uh, at home uh, on March 10th against Philadelphia or against uh, Phoenix. There was a game scheduled two nights later. Well, the the next night, the 11th, is when Rudy Gobert got sick and that shut everything down. Right. So we had heard that maybe we were going to be playing. Um, uh, the next couple of games without fans. We didn't really know what was going on. We knew in, in Washington things were getting very bad. It was just a, a strange time and a time of unrest because we just we just didn't know. And nobody could fathom the fact that they would shut down everything. And the NBA was the first league to do that. And it was, it was the right move. And then we saw the NCAA and all these other leagues do the same thing to where now obviously we have no sports. But, you know, for, for people like you and I who have worked in this business and this is what we do, there – it's unfathomable to think that sports just stops and an NBA season could be canceled. You know, it's not 1920. It's not 1918 with the Spanish flu. It's, it's 2020. This stuff doesn't happen in today's age of medicine, but obviously it does. So I think the, the shock of, of that lasted a while, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, which felt like a month. And then we're all trying to figure out what's going on and businesses are shutting down. Uh, my wife is pregnant. Uh, our second son is due in July. Congratulations. Um, our first son. Thank you very much. Our, our son Lincoln's going to be two in May, and then our second son is due in, in July. So my concern goes to her that, you know, she's pregnant, she's high risk, and people were self-quarantining. So we started to do the same. And we've basically been in the house now for about a month just to, to make sure that everybody is, is staying safe. Um, but it's it's been tough because – now the curve is starting to flatten out in Oregon a little bit, but for a while it was it was very scary. Um, you know, my parents live in, in Danbury, Connecticut. It was it was concerning for them. I know how how much the tri-state area has, has had to deal with some very dire circumstances. My wife's parents are in their sixties, and we haven't been able to bring my son around them. It's just it's it's strange. Um, you feel for all the people that are in much worse shape than we are. Fortunately, we're all healthy. You try and help how you can if there is a way to help and, and just try and keep yourself safe. Yeah, what is it these days other than your regular gig as play-by-play voice of the Blazers? Obviously, you can keep doing your radio show. You've been doing it from home, yes. and I know you've got uh, you've got today's episode coming up in a little while. But uh, what else are you missing? What, what really pains you that you're not able to do regularly day-to-day? Um, probably let my son interact with people. He, he's really social. It's, it's the cutest thing. He goes up to the window and when he sees kids playing outside and just start saying, hi, hi. And <laughs> to, to not let him go out and run around with other kids. That's, that's the hardest thing. Cause he just, he just wants to go play. He's almost two. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't understand why he has to stay inside. And, and that's, that's the hardest thing for me. I, I, I can deal with, you know, staying inside for a while. I travel enough. I, I see people enough when, you know, when the season's going on that I don't mind just being a little bit of a hermit for a while and hanging out with my wife, but not saying, okay, go out and play. That's, that's the toughest thing about it. It's funny. I saw a Twitter video this morning of, I think the young boy was three 
and is so used to walking up and down the sidewalk in his neighborhood and saying hi to people, but the sidewalk is barren. It's, you know, tumbleweed city, and he's still out there with his mom and dad (laughs) saying hi, and of course, they're videotaping as he, you know, waves hi to nobody in particular, but at least can get that energy out. Yeah, it's uh, as as parents, we you got to try and find different ways to to entertain your kids. You know, fortunately, Lincoln's not in school yet, so we haven't had to try and, and do that. But there's so many parents out there that have to deal with their with working for home and trying to homeschool their kids right yeah. now. It's it's challenging. I have to ask because I can feel people listening to this are screaming at the speakers. New York guy has a kid named Lincoln. Yes. Any significance, any any chance, I'm, I'm fishing here, is there any chance you named him for the Lincoln Tunnel? No, no. His, his first name, Lincoln, is not for anything specific. My wife just really liked the name. But his middle name is Abbott after Jim Abbott. My father and I were at Jim Abbott's Snow Hitter when I was 11 years old, and I just became a huge fan of his. And okay. I've had the chance to interview him a couple of times. He's he's an awesome guy. And I, I thought it would be really cool to be able to, to tell my son, hey, you're, the guy that your middle name is named after, he had to deal with some some pretty rough circumstances. And if he can do that, you know, you can you can do the same. So uh, he's named his middle name is Abbott after Jim Abbott. I remember watching Jim Abbott in college and marveling at Michigan at the way he was able to do what he did. And then the fact that he made it to the major leagues was just to me was beyond remarkable. And, and to throw a no hitter, yeah. not just a no hitter. He's a Yankee throwing a no hitter. That's, you know, yes, that's, that's big stuff. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, we're thinking about names for, for the second son. I, I really like the name Elston for Elston Howard. My wife is not a fan. So uh, actually, if if Lincoln was a girl, her first name would have been Mattingly. And my wife was actually cool with that. So wow. if, if he was a girl, she would have been Mattingly. But I'm I'm trying to, to push for Mantle as a middle name for the next one. You're that big a Yankee fan, huh? I am. I, I am that big of a Yankee fan, yes. So how tough is it to live in a city that has no Major League Baseball? It's hard. Um, that's in terms of sports. That's the one thing that I miss more than anything else. Just being able to take my son to a game. Uh, there's a minor league team out here, short season, single a, the Hillsborough hops. Uh, I've called some games for them in the past. I won't be able to do that anymore now with the Blazers job, but you know, it's, it's, it's a great environment. It's, it's a small stadium, about 4,000 people. The organization are great people. Um, you know, some, some good players have come through, so we have that opportunity. You know, Seattle's three hours away, so if we really want to take them to a big league game, we can go up and, and see the Mariners. But, yeah, it's it's tough. There, there's a movement out here uh, called the Portland Diamond Project. And for the last couple of years, they've been trying to uh, buy up land and, and put together a petition. And they're doing a great job of, of trying to uh, get a major league team here someday, whether it's by relocation or expansion. So hopefully someday we'll, we'll get major league baseball here. That, that would be that'd be awesome. I always say the more baseball teams there are, the better society is, the better the world is. I can't agree more. All right, so I have to ask, you have the radio show, you have the young son, you have another baby on the way, you have the wife, obviously. Uh, what else are you doing to pass the time while you're shut in? Uh, watching a lot of Disney movies with my son. Uh, you know, we, we, we get up, we give him something to eat, we give him breakfast, and really until he takes a nap, it's just family time in the morning. Um, and then I'll start doing some show prep and do my show from – from three to five and then you know, we'll have dinner and bed and then my wife and I'll watch a movie and 
you know, since she's pregnant, she gets tired easily and she goes to bed early. So if she does that, I'll, I'll hop on the, the PlayStation 4 and play some MLB The Show, maybe some NBA 2K. Um, really, outside of that, there's, there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, we're trying to find some, some new shows to watch. We watched Tiger King. We watched Hunters, both very interesting shows. <laughs> and it's just, uh, it's just a lot of family time. And, and I'm enjoying it because I was gone so much during the season. And I know when the NBA picks back up, I'll be gone again. Right. So to be able to have this family time, I don't know if and when I'm ever going to get that again. So I'm just trying to make the most of it. All right. Idle play-by-play guy. You're playing video games. Are you doing your own play-by-play as you play the games? <laughs> sometimes, yes. Sometimes <laughs> I just want to focus in on the game. But, yes, sometimes I will, uh, I'll do a little bit of that myself. you got to keep the chops ready to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you go back to some of the uh, Blazers games on tape and relive them? With the sound down? Uh, the, the Blazers have actually played some of their classic games uh, recently on, on NBC Sports Northwest. They played the, the four-overtime game, uh, Damian Lillard's 61-point game. But they've also played some other really good ones, like when uh, Lillard hit the walk-off shot against the Rockets in 2014. Last night, there was a, a 1990 NBA Finals game against the, the, uh, against the Pistons. Um, but I, I have not turned down the play-by-play on those. In my head, I'll do it a little bit. Right. I, I just naturally find myself doing that, but I, I haven't actually done it while, while watching any of that. Interesting, interesting. I have to ask, he's been in the news this week. Uh, we were talking about Dame and CJ earlier. McCollum was quoted as saying uh, he's fearful that a third of the NBA's players are living paycheck to paycheck. And I went and did some research. The minimum salary, Travis, is like eight hundred and sixty-five grand. Um, yeah. Was he over? I mean, it sounds like he's exaggerating. Um, do you think it's possible that some of these guys could actually be living paycheck to paycheck? I think it is possible, um, especially some of the younger guys who don't quite understand yet how to manage their money. Um, there are a lot of players who are also taking care of their families and didn't expect the the money to to run out so quickly. You've got you know, two-way players who are making, you know, $100,000 or less. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody's making 10, 20, 30 million, I wouldn't imagine they're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. But especially, you know, the, some of the, the younger guys that just haven't learned how to do that yet. There's a lot more education now than there was 10 or 20 years ago. Right. But when you get money that you haven't had, and maybe you come from, um, you know, some, some tough surroundings and your family doesn't have money, a lot of players, the first thing they do is they, they buy their mom a house or they buy, buy their dad a car, or they help out their, their siblings or cousins or friends. And unfortunately, some players um, aren't able to see the big picture, and that's where the education comes in. So I think, I, I don't know, it's not really my place to say whether or not C.J. McCollum is, is um, you know, accurate with that number, but being that he has a better understanding of what other players are going through and, and what it's like to be a young player. I think he's got a pretty good idea of, of how, you know, the rest of the league is living. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. You know, when I, when I thought about it the other day, the, the flip side of my own argument was, you know, Jose Canseco years ago coming out and saying about, you know, what did he say? 50 or 75% of the players are on some sort of PEDs and everybody scoffed at him. And, you know, you look back on that period and maybe he wasn't that far off. No, maybe not. I mean, you think about you know some of the the guys that that you just wouldn't expect. It's 
the players have a good idea. That's the thing. It's like the, the guys who are involved in this every day, they're not just around their teammates. They know guys on other teams. They know what's going on. If, right. if you really want to, to know what's going on, if you can find a player who's being honest about it, and I don't know if those guys are, that, that's the source. Those guys know what's up. All right, name of the show is Play by Play with me, so I have to ask, uh, and you do have uh, young Lincoln who will eventually be getting into board games. What's the first one yes. you and your wife will teach him? Board games, the first one, wow. Um, the good news is you have time to figure it out. The bad news yeah. is you're on the clock here. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, I'm not really familiar with like a lot of the little kids' games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably, you know... Uh, Candyland, you know, that's always a good one for little kids. You know, okay. when you're five or six years old, that's probably something that, that yeah. well, I remember being a little kid and playing. We're not going to get him into Scrabble when he's seven, but, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think Candyland is a good one to start. Does lead me to my next question, though. What's your go to? Uh, my wife and I have actually played a little bit of categories the last couple of nights. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Scrabble. Uh, we don't have Scrabble, though. We'll, you know, we'll do the words of friends. We only have a couple of board games. Um, and then a lot of them you can't play with two players. Right. So we, we go with categories. That's fun. You can you can throw some random stuff in there. That, that one's a good time. There's always a lot of laughter with that. This is Volume 1, Episode 4, and you are the second guest who has mentioned categories as their go-to oh, no board kidding. game. No kidding. It's a good one. You're in good company. You're in good company. Hey, what's the first thing you do when we get the all clear and we don't have to be quarantined anymore? Take my wife out to dinner. Yeah, she deserves it. You know, we, we obviously can't go out in public. All the restaurants are shut down. So if we can get her mom to to watch our son, then uh, I'm just going to take her out and, and treat her to a nice dinner. She deserves it. All right, last question. Uh, how long until the Blazers are back at the top of the NBA and uh, having a uh, championship parade? It's a great question. Haven't had one since 1977. Uh, the first step is being competitive, and this year, you know, being under 500 and a few games out of the playoffs, it was because of injuries. You know, uh, the, what four of the five starters were missed missed a, a portion of the season, and three of them have basically been out for the entire year. So when Rodney Hood and Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic all come back healthy, and they pair with Damon CJ in the starting lineup, I think you've got one of the better starting lineups in the NBA. We'll see what happens to some of the free agents, but. I, you know, I'm, I'm not just being a, a homer here with, with Rose City-colored glasses. I, I think the Blazers can compete next season when they are fully healthy, depending on, you know, what uh, what pieces they can get to to uh, you know round out the depth. I'm, I'm not, I don't know if anybody can beat the Lakers. I don't know if anybody can beat the Clippers or the Bucks, but I think the Blazers have a great chance to be near that conversation once they get everybody back healthy. Hey, super props for working in that Rose City-colored glasses. That was... <laughs> That was great. It's not the first time. It's not the first time. <laughs> that was exceptional. Good job. Hey, listen, I hope the family is well. I hope you stay safe. Um, I really appreciate you doing this, and uh, I look forward to the time where we can finally uh, have a face-to-face. Mark, I can't wait. Thank you so much for thinking of me. I am Mark Day. He's Travis DeBurs, the play-by-play radio voice of the Portland Trailblazers. And, Travis, thanks for stopping by to play-by-play with me. The pleasure is mine. Thank you.